Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 198 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this Monday evening uh, into Tuesday as you're listening to this. And if you have not noticed by now, we were not going to be going five days a week in the offseason. I think I said that on a couple of recent podcasts, but I want to say that here again. Obviously, did not do a show on Monday, but we will, we'll be coming to you at least twice a week, uh, probably closer to three or four times a week, depending on what's going on, at least until uh, after Summer League ends in July and we get into the full-on dead period into August and September. But for now, at least two or three shows a week. And this is going to be one of them, a lot to get to on this fine Monday evening, uh, including some news at the top as well as the the player reviews as we continue that series with both Tim Hardaway Jr. and Mike Dunleavy Jr., the uh, the two juniors uh, on on the team in back-to-back fashion. But before we get to to those guys, there is a couple of uh, news items uh, between now and the last podcast that we did. Uh, First and foremost, David Aldridge of NBA.com wrote an extensive Hawks uh, breakdown on Monday morning as part of his morning tip. Uh, Aldridge is fantastic, sort of a legend in the industry, and uh, obviously a guy who is well respected. And that, got, that kind of goes, goes without saying here, but it's worth noting at the top of this thing. But a lot of uh, interesting revelations with that. First of all, I would encourage that you uh, go out and read that on NBA.com. It's very, very, uh, I, I would say, uh, enlightening for those of you who are not necessarily uh, enraged, and, uh, sorry, not enraptured is the word I was looking for uh, in the day to day goings on with the Hawks. There's some stuff in there that I probably just know, but uh, that a lot of people don't know. And then a, a couple things that I learned even. From his reporting, uh, first and foremost, a couple of things here to get to. Uh, his he dropped a, a, a nugget in there that Tony Wrestler will be negotiating directly with Paul Millsap uh, on his contract. That's very unusual setup. Uh, to some degree, I guess it isn't surprising because of the fact that the Hawks had that the, uh, the GM opening. But uh, Aldridge actually indicates that regardless of who fills that opening or when that opening becomes filled, uh, Millsap will be negotiating directly with Wrestler. A lot of people jump to the conclusion that that means Millsap's going to be uh, resigned at kind of a lofty number. I would say that does not do anything to uh, dissuade me from that view, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily going to be anything that confirms that necessarily. I've always felt at least recently, as if the Hawks were probably going to sign Paul Millsap. I don't know that to be to be true 100%. And of course, it does kind of depend on what Millsap wants. You know, part of this article from Aldridge actually was that uh, Millsap was apparently frustrated by, by a couple things that the Hawks did. And uh, I'm going to read this to you verbatim. From Aldridge, and he says, uh, one source said there was unhappiness amongst among some with lack of with a lack of accountability for other players who consistently made mistakes on the floor. There was also confusion why Budenholzer kept a healthy Tabosafalosha out of the rotation during the Wizards matchup, especially after Washington's Bradley Bill started cooking offensively late in the series. And then the money quote here: uh, We had guys out there doing stuff that they had no business doing. The source said, uh, of course, that does not come straight from Millsap necessarily, but uh, something to keep an eye on there, and that maybe there is always a possibility that Paul is not 
not super happy in Atlanta. I do think he likes it in Atlanta and has, has indicated as such. But um, if the Hawks don't, don't don't end up paying him what he wants, and uh, if the Hawks don't make changes that he uh, indicates, you know, he has a lot of power here, and you know, players have a lot of power in general. But when you're un- when you're an unrestricted free agent and you're easily the best player on a team, you wield an, an, an immense amount of power, and Millsap will definitely have that going into July. But uh, worth noting that he'll be directly uh, negotiating with Wrestler, according to that report from Aldridge, and uh, that's very very interesting. Beyond that. The other big nugget, at least for me, was that uh, Aldridge actually indicated and reported that uh, Wes Wilcox wanted to rebuild with the Hawks and Mike Budenholzer did not want to rebuild. I've uh, candidly heard that exact same thing uh, around at different times, but in the same breath, I did not uh, actually hear. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe I've actually seen that report anywhere. I could be wrong there. It could have been something that I've seen from Chris Vivmore at the AJC or something like that. But uh, this is the first time, at least in my in my recollection, that something as directly as that has been uh, put out there by some someone um of course you know it's it's been an open secret that the hawks have had some uh, some discord in the front office that probably led to some of the front office uh sort of reshuffling that's taken place but uh i mean and there was always the notion i think i've even talked about it that you know part of the front office might want might have wanted to move on from Millsap in an effort to rebuild and part of it did not but it is still um, sort of the same sort of this is so, same sort of thing, but now with names, with uh, Wilcox wanting to be the guy who wanted to be a little bit forward thinking, and Budenholzer not wanting to do that. Not a big surprise again, because of course uh, head coaches always want to win now more so than anything. And whereas GMs are a little bit more forward thinking is one of the big reasons why I wanted the Hawks to go with a GM straight and then not have Budenholzer do the dual role. So you know, in the end, that might that might be happening now, but uh, at the, at the same time, with all the all the comments from Tony Wrestler in the last couple of weeks and days um, it'd be it would, it would be kind of a surprise to me if the Hawks willingly went into a rebuild perhaps if Millsap were to leave on his own volition uh, if the Hawks try to keep him and he uh, still opts to leave in favor of greener pastures, maybe at that point the Hawks would look to rebuild. I'm not really sure how what, what, what they would do, to be honest, at that time. People have asked me that a number of times. I think my inclination would be the Hawks would still probably try to win now and try, you know maybe spend that money that they were going to, going to allocate towards Millsap on some guys who are more forward-thinking in terms of uh, this year only versus the future. Um, at the same time, uh, you do have some guys uh, you know without Millsap on this roster, there's a real question as to whether this Hawks team is even a contender for the number eight seed as curling, as, as curling instructed in. And it would be it would be noteworthy that you know they would have some money. They wouldn't have all of the money to pay Millsap, but still have some cap space if Millsap were to leave. But still, uh, it'd be tough to improve enough to be a even a, even a contender beyond like a, you know a seven or eight seed in the Eastern Conference. So uh, might might be time to pivot away from that at that point in time. But plenty to get to there uh, down the line if that actually becomes a question. But uh, some of the reporting was very very interesting there. And again, I would encourage you all to go out and read that because uh, it it, break, it breaks a lot of things down in a way that uh, that is, is well sourced, of course. And uh, just kind of um, you know worth a read. I will I will leave it there for now. The other thing uh, that actually broke on Monday was uh, Mark Stein, formerly of ESPN, still uh, around the league as a uh, top flight reporter, reports that uh, Troy Weaver, an Oklahoma City Thunder assistant general manager, has uh, has emerged as something of a candidate for the Hawks' GM opening. Uh, on one hand, that's a name that actually excites me. Weaver's been a uh, very, very well-respected name around the league that I've heard for a long time as sort of the the next big thing on the GM circuit, aside from you know the former player ranks where guys who kind of just get anointed. He's been the guy who's been grinding, was a, was a college 
college basketball assistant coach and has now been in front offices in the NBA for about 10 years. Uh, Weaver's been a hot name. Actually, Tom Ziller of SB Nation, who is a uh, very, very good writer, actually a couple of years ago referenced uh, Weaver as the best as the best guy in a front office that had not ha- yet, not yet had the opportunity to run a team on his own. And there's been reports that he's actually turned down GM jobs in the past, waiting for the right one for him. So uh, I would be uh, pretty excited about that name, actually, if uh, if I'm a Hawks fan. Uh, that's one of the that's one of the few guys that I would be excited about in the GM role, sort of definitively. I will say though, you know, Nate Duck and Danny Larue actually talked about the Hawks extensively on their most recent podcast. And uh, he mentioned a good point in that it'd be pretty difficult to uh, integrate a uh, a first time GM into the situation necessarily. It might be you know Weaver is a commanding name, but still uh, he's a guy that, that would not that would not have held that GM job. Whereas you're talking about guys like Budenholzer and Wilcox who have both seemingly held that job, and uh, to have them both be working under uh, under Weaver, it should be noted that you know Wes Wilcox will actually be working and reporting to the owner according to the AJC in, a, in an article Chris Moore uh, posted this week. But still. Uh, having two guys that are around that are working under Weaver that, that also had that job before would be an interesting setup. But uh, that's uh, probably the most enticing name that I've heard so far. Obviously, David Griffin is an established GM and a, and a title-winning GM, but uh, Griffin's more of a pipe dream in my opinion. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I can't imagine him coming in and not having at least full control and kind of doing all that and, and having to pay up big-time money that I'm not sure the Hawks are trying to do. Uh, we'll see if that happens. But uh, if it was a choice between Joe Dumars and Troy Weaver, I would like to see Troy Weaver and, you know, I talked about Dumars on my last podcast extensively, but um, Dumars, uh, it should be credited again that he did build a title winning team, but just the, I can't unsee the end with Joe Dumars. I like, I like to see some new blow with Weaver, and he's a guy that uh, I've heard nothing but good things about from around the league and talk to, talking to some people who would certainly be in a position to know more about him than I would at this point in time. There is some more news and stuff to possibly pry through, but I'm going to leave a couple of those things on the table for a guest later on in the week that's hopefully going to be joining us. But uh, today, before we get into the player reviews, I do want to talk to you about the good folks at SeatGeek. The NBA playoffs are here, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person this postseason. There's nothing like being at the game for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, whether that's the court side, the club seats, or the upper level. I have SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps on my iPhone screen, I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any game this season. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you want to shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price. And SeatGeek also wants to help you get, get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value called Deal Score, and you'll immediately under, see un, any underpriced seats to be able to find the best deals to fit into your budget. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee, and that's something that not every tight ticket site will certainly be able to bolst. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. In order to get that $20 rebate on tickets, you need to download the SeatGeek app, Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code LOHAWKS, that's L-O-H-A-W-K-S, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOHAWKS, that's L-O-H-A-W-K-S, today to take advantage of this fantastic offer. Thanks again to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's podcast, and uh, with that, 
let's get into Mike Dunleavy Jr. Uh, Dunleavy arrived midseason, of course, as part of the Kyle as part of the Kyle Korver trade. At the time, some people tried to uh, paint that as a as a Korver for Dunleavy trade. Uh, I will say it again, that was definitely a Korver for 2019 first round pick and Mike Dunleavy trade. And, and I, if you might remember, there was that little window of time in which it, it seemed as if Dunleavy was going to get traded, but there was uh, some something that something of a reported come to Jesus meeting between Dunleavy and Mike Budenholzer that uh, talked him into staying and wanting to stay around and Dunleavy ended up being in the rotation for the great majority of the time that he was in a Hawks uniform. He played 30 games in the regular season. And uh, in the postseason, uh, Dunleavy was uh, on the court in every single game. Uh, he played in all six. He averaged, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of hilariously posted a 3.6 PER with a 68.5 true shooting percentage. That's almost impossible to do. It basically means that you're doing absolutely nothing on the court aside from making shots when you take them. Uh, it's pretty funny. But he did play 53 total minutes in the playoffs, played six, played six games. We're going to largely focus on the regular season here just because that's a, that's a larger data set. But Dunleavy Jr., uh, on the bright side for him, is still, uh, and, I, and I said this throughout the season was the best shooter on the Hawks roster in the second half of the season. It doesn't mean necessarily that he's the that he's some uh, great revelation in terms of that. But I've always liked his game. To be honest with you, at this point in time, though, Dunleavy is. 36 years old, he'll be 37 in September, so he's still a, he's a very limited player at this point in time. Uh, he did provide spacing when he was on the floor, that's important to note, uh, and shot 43% from three in a very limited sample with the Hawks, played 15.8 minutes per game in those 30 contests that he played in, but uh, knocked down shots, and that's kind of all you can ask for from him. He's a, he's a willing passer, he's a high basketball IQ guy, all those, all those things that are that are positive about Dunleavy Jr. Uh, defensively, he is something of a liability at this point. Uh, that, on the bright side, he is very long. Um, which kind of helps him to make up for some of his deficiencies, a la Kyle Korver. Dunleavy is huge. Uh, sitting next to him, I was always uh, sort of taken aback just, just by how big he is. He's listed at 6'9", 230. He's all of that. Um, that's a big, big man who used to play. Uh, he, you know, he played a lot of actually shooting guard even um, at times in his career, and a lot of small forward. He's really been a small forward his entire career. Uh, the Hawks played him a little bit at small ball four, but uh, just defensively, that's kind of untenable at different times. But uh, you know, offensively, he's a valuable piece to have. He'll have a contract uh, that's actually non-guaranteed for next year, so it'd be a pretty big surprise to me if the Hawks did not uh, go ahead and, uh, pat and get rid of that contract just because they would save you know several million dollars, and that's that's very important information when you're talking about uh, a team that's going to be hopefully trying to use some cap space um, or at least uh, some flexibility moving forward. And Dunleavy's just not worth the price that they would have to pay him if they were to pick up, uh, not, even, it's not even an option, if they were to uh, just have, have him st- stay on that ros- on the roster as a, as a non-guaranteed player and sort of pick that up and quote-unquote, I, w- I would be uh, pretty surprised if they did that, but uh, Dunleavy's a guy who can be useful when healthy, and he was healthy for the majority of this season, even if he missed some time in both Cleveland and Atlanta, um, but not a guy who's going to be earth-shattering. He's more of an emergency sort of break, breaking case of emergency kind of player off the bench who can provide some spacing. I was, uh, if you might remember this, I was critical that uh, Bud continued to roll with Dunleavy in the playoffs. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier 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 in the podcast, and this this came from David Aldridge, but uh, there was some uh, consternation apparently inside the organization as well as there was with me and other people about why Sepulosha was not playing. That was not necessarily an indictment of Dunleavy. I just don't think that he was a you know a huge factor in the series. Uh, obviously, Bud wanted to go with spacing more than what Sepulosha brings to the table, uh, but that's pretty much the only thing that Dunleavy is better at at this point in time um, than Cephalosha would be, uh, and you know, moving forward, I can't imagine he's going to be getting any better as he gets into his age 37 season next year, but uh, Dunleavy's a guy I've always liked, and I actually sort of stand for the Hawks to sign him before he signed with, with the Bulls, before, you know, at the, at the end of his last contract. 
but that was you know that was two three years ago now, and he's definitely a different player at this point in time. But can be useful in the right circumstances, and we saw that at times this year. Uh, without getting, going too deep though into Dunleavy Jr., just because he didn't play all that much, is a huge part of the future. I did want to talk about Tim Hardaway Jr., who is uh, obviously a bigger uh, bigger deal in terms of Hawksland. Uh, Hardaway turned 25 years old on March 16th, so he'll be playing most of next season at 25. He is a restricted free agent. He's Atlanta's only restricted free agent this year. Uh, the, the Hawks, of course, have a ton of free agents, but all the other guys, you know, Paul Millsap, Mike Muscala, Thomas Alosha, et cetera, et cetera, all unrestricted free agents. And Tim is the one guy that the Hawks have complete, have complete control over. They will be offering him. Uh, it would be a huge surprise if they have if they were not going to offer him a qualifying offer sometime in June. They cannot do that until after the season, and they have to get that done before uh, before free agency hits. But that, that's going to be happening for sure. You know, I guess the the very very long shot scenario was that Tim would accept that qualifying offer and, and agree to play next year on what it would be somewhere in the five or six million dollar range. I don't have that number in front of me right now, but that'd be a pretty big pretty big surprise if he did that. Uh, more moreover, he's probably going to be uh, in restricted free agency, and the Hawks will have uh, the opportunity to match any offer and we'll see what he is able to get but in terms of uh, on the court this season Hardaway had easily the best year of his career that's worth uh, starting on the positive note here he averaged 14.5 points per game he shot 45.5% from the field both of those were career highs he shot 35.7% from three that was not a career high he actually shot a little bit better than that as a rookie but that was a three-year high for Tim uh, also career best in uh, rebounds per game assists per game steals per game uh, a lot of that's just playing uh, more minutes than he ever has ever has in his career but Still, um, some pretty good indications there. And on a per 36-minute basis, he was 19.1 points per game. Um, that's his one uh, big-time skill is as a scorer. Uh, Hardaway managed, managed to post a 15.2 PER, which is slightly above average. A very, very encouraging sign there for Tim. Uh, as well as a 56.8% true shooting. That was the highest of his career. He had a usage rate that was in line with his last season with the Knicks, which is a very, very high number, probably a little bit higher than you want for him, but his assist rate was a, was a career high as well, so we saw some development there. From him as a playmaker, you know, Hardaway Jr. is not, never going to be mistaken for uh, someone you want running your offense necessarily, but he can be a secondary guy. We saw that a little bit. Not his strength, but something he's now capable of. And that's a very big uh, development for Tim, as well as uh, the fact that he just shot the ball better. Um, I, I've been critical of his three-point shooting throughout his time in Atlanta. He was, uh, you know, at the point this year, if you're going to shoot 36% from three, that's a, that's an acceptable rate for Tim. That's kind of all you can ask him to do, given his track record. Now, you know, four years he's shooting 35, 35.2% from three. That's not awful by any means. I don't. I, I do think though, people continue to think that he's a better shooter than he is, just as a, as a pure knockdown guy. It looks great coming off the hand, and uh, he he definitely made an acceptable amount of shots. Shots this year. It's just the situation where um, you know that shooting is is fine, but it, when when it goes away for stretches, he has been pretty streaky throughout his Hawks time, especially this season. When it goes away, my, my big concern with Hardaway is that there's really not a lot there. Uh, he does not rebound the wall particularly well. He's not he's not you know as I mentioned before, he's he's taking strides as a creator, but not necessarily a guy that's great in that in that spot. And defensively, it's pretty uh, pretty clear that he's going to be below average. You know he was much better this year in year two in Atlanta than he was in year one, and you know during his next his, his next tenure he was a mess uh, to the point where the Hawks had to kind of break him down and build, build, build him back up defensively after after acquiring him for that first round pick uh, two years ago. Um, you know Tim definitely made strides there. He's not the, the full on liability that he used to be defensively, but you saw in the playoffs at, at times where he was abused uh, pretty regularly by Washington, and I, and I would argue pretty much targeted. Um, you know to be fair, not everybody's Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal is one of the you know five or six best shooting guards in the entire league. So, uh, you know, a lot of teams don't really have that guy that's going to be able to just light Hardaway up like Beal did. And uh, he was not done any favors by uh, by being partnered with Dwight Howard and pick and roll coverage necessarily. But uh, the big takeaway for me, at least in this space, 
is that Hardaway Jr. is a below average defender. That's worth noting. And uh, he doesn't really have one, you know, I, I, I don't want to say major skill. It's, you know, he, he's a, he is a good scorer, and that's kind of profiles as more of a bench guy, in my opinion. This is something I've said before, but I think ideally you want Tim Hardaway Jr. to be your sixth or seventh man and not, not necessarily your starting shooting guard. I think his, his, his defensive weaknesses are too uh, strong to be uh, covered up from unless you're just getting a high-level offensive player. And, I, well, I think he is certainly a usable, a useful offensive player and a pretty good one, um, even with uh, all of his uh, sort of shortcomings with, a, with, with non-scoring. I think he's going to continue to have to uh, – Improve more to be uh, to be a, a starting level shooting guard. Uh, I think this it's a pretty it's pretty reasonable to think this that was the best year that uh, Hardaway will ever have in the NBA. Not necessarily the case, but um, you know I, I famously think back to last last summer talking to Robbie Callan on the podcast about Kent Bazemore and sort of prognosticating that that, that 2015-2016 might have been his best season as an NBA player and that you know it remains to be seen but it might be Kent's best season I had the same thought this year uh, in his contract year for Tim Hardaway Jr. He's a little bit younger than, than Kent was but uh, the shooting was uh, was encouraging but I, I just think we don't know that Tim's going to get better I think you know it, there's, a, there's a, uh, a school of thought that says that Hardaway might get better and with another year under the Hawks, under the Hawks tutelage that's certainly fair, and he's a very, very talented, very athletic player that showed flashes off the dribble that we just never seen before, and his shot has come around a little bit. So if you're looking to be optimistic on Tim, it would be the fact that uh, he's in a system where the Hawks have been pretty darn good at player development in recent years, and uh, he had a very encouraging season. But he's not that young anymore. You know, he's 25 years old. That's not uh, old by any means, but uh, usually you kind of are, you are what you are at that point in time. There are exceptions, of course, but for the most part, you kind of uh, know what guys are going to be by that age, especially after four full years in the NBA. So, you know, with, with an eye on Hardaway Jr., I would say it was definitely a very, very good season. If, if we're talking just about 2016, 2017, nothing else, he was better than I ever thought he'd be in a Hucks uniform. So I will definitely uh, do the mea culpa there. He's a better player now than I ever thought he'd be in the NBA. And this is somebody who I watched going back to college. I'm a huge Michigan guy. For those of you who might be new uh, listeners, I watched Tim probably play 100 games at the college level. So this is not a guy that I'm un- that I'm unfamiliar with by any stretch of the imagination. I think I, I, I get painted as someone who uh, is a hater of Tim's. That's not true. I'm rooting for him for a long time. I just so I try to be realistic with what I think about Hardaway Jr. and really every player, but especially you know, aside from Millsap, uh, I, I don't think I've, I've I don't think I've probably seen as many minutes of anybody on the entire roster um, than Tim Hardaway Jr. As far as an up close analytical perspective, obviously Dwight Howard's probably the leader in the club. That's just just from um, duration and the fact that I cover the whole league. But you know, from up close and personal perspective, uh, seeing Tim all the way through college, I'm very familiar with his game and what he can and can't be, uh, can and can't be, can and can't do. Um, but listen, he's he was very very good this season. I would like to be wrong about. Tim moving forward. He's a good guy by all counts and uh, somebody who is easy to root for. So we'll see if he can keep it going after the after this year. And uh, But the big question for me is that if the Hawks want to invest in that, they've uh, they've drawn the line in the sand with a couple of guys. You know, DeMar Carroll, um, famously in the past, even Al Horford last year, but they did pay Kent Bazemore, so they've been not necessarily consistent there. And I think a lot of it will depend on what kind of offers Tim gets and what the overall plan is for the roster, considering the fact that Paul Millsap uh, might, you know, Honestly, Hardaway might be tied to Millsap, and if the if the Hawks want to simply be as good as they can be next year, if they pay Millsap, there's not a whole lot of flexibility aside from uh, going ahead and locking up Hardaway. So if they want to do that at a reasonable number, I won't I won't complain. But I do think his his uh, his contributions were pretty were pretty replicable. If you want to go on a little bit cheaper route on the free agent market, you probably could do uh, at least you know eighty nine percent of what Hardaway did. 
this season. So something to keep an eye on there. It'll be interesting to see what the Hawks think of him and honestly who's making the decision with the Hawks uh, by, by the time the draft and free agency arrive is another big factor here because uh, Tim was obviously a favorite of, uh, of either Butter West or both because they uh, they thought enough of him to invest even when he was a much worse player than he is now uh, coming coming out of New York. But uh, And he's obviously gotten a lot better, but that you know year one didn't go as according to plan. So you basically only see one full year of Hardaway Jr. as an acceptable you know high-level rotation player in the NBA and whether that's enough to invest in him long term kind of remains to be seen so uh, with all that said I appreciate everybody listening to the podcast hopefully I didn't go too long there on Hardaway Jr. and I, I, again I want to say that uh, he was very very good this year based on what my expectations were for him I just I, I just think for me he's more of a sixth seventh man guy than a starter that's controversial in some people's minds and hopefully I'll be wrong on that um, especially if the Hawks elect to resign him because obviously there will be hope they'll be banking on some improvement um, beyond this year but uh, a good season for Tim. You know, Mike Dunleavy was uh, useful in his minutes, and uh, this is a largely upbeat podcast aside from uh, a little bit of the, of the uncertainty in the, in the front office based on the Aldridge reporting, but uh, a lot to uh, get through there as well. So as I mentioned at, at the top of the podcast, I'm hoping to have a guest on that will be breaking down a little bit of just sort of the big picture stuff uh, coming on later in the week. We'll definitely have at least one more podcast, if not two more this week, before we uh, get into the weekend and all those fun things. And at some point here, we're going to start uh, wrapping into the draft as well. Uh, we have obviously uh, several more you know, player reviews to get to, but uh, as you can see, I'm I'm, ro- I'm rolling through at least two of those on, on every podcast that I do, aside from uh, emergency pod. So we'll get to those pretty quickly, and we'll get into uh, the rest of the offseason at that point. So thanks as always for listening. Please subscribe to the show if you've not done that already. I would really appreciate that and give me some feedback. You know, five star reviews are always appreciated, but any truthful feedback that you have, please hit me up as well on Twitter at bt roland or at, at the show's page at Locked on Hawks or Facebook at Locked on Hawks. We try to update those as regularly as possible. And uh, as always, everybody, I really appreciate you listening. And please stay tuned for the next podcast. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.